Welcome to The Canadian Farmer, a podcast for pharmacists, pharmacy students, pharmacy technicians, and healthcare professionals in the North. This podcast reflects my personal views, opinions, and interpretations of information, and was prepared in my personal capacity. This podcast does not represent any institutions, associations, corporations, or societies. Just me. Hello, listeners. As you can hopefully tell, this isn't Michelle. My name is Dylan. I'm a fourth-year pharmacy student and avid listener of The Canadian Farmer. Over the past six weeks, I've had the opportunity to complete a clinical rotation with our lovely host, Michelle. And to wrap things up, she invited me to be a guest on our wonderful podcast. Now, bear with me, because this is my first time podcasting, but I want to talk to you a bit about a group of enzymes, or a group of blood tests we usually refer to as liver function tests, with a particular focus on liver enzymes. So what can you tell me about liver enzymes? If you were to ask me this question a few weeks ago, I would have given an answer along the lines of, they tell us how well a patient's liver is working. If they're out of range, it's an indication that something is wrong, and they require further assessment by someone with more specialized knowledge than mine. Now that's a fine generalization for some purposes, but imagine you're at work checking prescriptions and see a new start for Accutane show up in your queue. You check the patient's file and see it's for a teenager who's struggling with moderate to severe acne. You see the teen has completed an adequate trial of a variety of topical therapies, as well as systemic antibiotics, but reports minimal improvement. From talking to the patient, you understand the acne is negatively affecting their self-esteem and is a contributing factor to their anxiety and depression. You know that systemic isotretinoin therapy carries risks, but the patient is aware of this and feels the benefits outweighs these risks. And with proper monitoring, you feel the prescription is appropriate and send it along to be filled. As you're staying on the last label on the last box of isotretinoin, you get a phone call, and it's the teen's parent. They Google the medication their baby was about to start, and after seeing that it can be toxic to the liver, no longer feel that it's appropriate. You explain their child will have their liver enzymes monitored, and if anything comes back abnormal, someone will intervene and everything will more than likely be okay. The parent understands this, but still feels the medication isn't safe, and decides they won't be picking it up. At this point, you understand and respect the decision of the patient's agent not to fill the prescription, but are disappointed that you weren't able to better explain the monitoring and relative safety of the medication. If only you paid more attention to those liver lectures back in university. Well, fear not, because the purpose of this little chat is to help us better understand what's going on with the liver, and it isn't as complicated as it seems. So why do we care about the liver? We could spend all day talking about its specific functions, But here's a brief rundown of some important stuff. The liver plays a central role in carbohydrate metabolism, producing and storing glycogen, the form of sugars our body uses for storage. When our bodies need energy, it breaks down the stored glycogen into glucose, the form of sugar our cells use as fuel. And when our bodies are really hurting for energy, it can turn proteins and other compounds into glucose via gluconeogenesis. The liver also makes a lot of proteins and other molecules, including clotting factors, cholesterol, and albumin. It produces bile, a compound involved in the digestion of lipids, which it secretes directly into the intestines or sends to the gallbladder for short-term storage. In addition to making stuff, the liver is also involved in breaking down a lot of things in our bodies. Some examples include insulin and other hormones, bilirubin, which is a waste product involved in the turnover of red blood cells, and as well as most of the drugs we put into our bodies. Now this is a brief surface level overview of some things the liver does, but it demonstrates that the liver wears a lot of important hats. 
All of these roles are crucial to our survival, and unfortunately, we have yet to figure out a replacement for the liver if it goes kaputz. There's no drugs that we can give, no devices that can be used, or procedures that can replace the liver, short of a transplant, so we need to try our darndest to keep our livers running. We don't want to rely on signs and symptoms of liver damage to alert us that the organ is starting to fail. By the time we start to see things like jaundice, hepatomegaly, and abdominal pain, damage is already being done to our body, some of which may be irreversible, so we need some early red flags to look out for. Now when we're assessing the general health of the liver, we're interested in how well it's performing all of its tasks. So not just how well it's building things up, secreting things, or breaking things down, but everything. We're also interested to know if the liver is showing any signs of injury, as well as any clues as to what might be causing any problems that turn up. Unfortunately, our livers are buried deep in our abdomens, so we can't just ask it how it's doing. Thankfully, we have a number of biochemical markers that we can look for, commonly referred to as liver function tests. Now, the term liver function test is a bit of a misnomer, as many of the specific markers that we look at don't tell us anything about how well the liver is functioning. In addition, abnormal readings can be caused by systems and diseases outside of the liver, and values can be completely normal in patients with advanced liver disease. These tests also don't tell us a whole lot about the extent of liver damage. As such, one preferred term for these tests is liver biochemical and function tests. Now that's a bit of a mouthful, so for the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to refer to these tests as the liver panel. In contrast to testing liver function, a better way to look at the liver panel is a tool that gives clinicians an idea of how well the liver might be doing. It can show some signs of what might be going wrong, may give some clues as to what's causing the problem, but it doesn't say a whole lot about the extent of the damage or function of the liver as a whole. It's just a relatively easy, non-invasive tool that gives us a snapshot assessment of the liver that can be used to guide further, more specific investigations. These tests are really useful because it can show us the liver is having problems long before we would start to see signs and symptoms of liver injury. Additionally, the liver is a very resilient organ, and damage associated with abnormal readings on the liver panel is often reversible, even if test results are pretty high, provided appropriate intervention is taken. As mentioned earlier, when we're assessing the liver, we want to look at how well it's performing all of its jobs, as well as if it's showing any signs of damage. A liver panel can show all of these things because it includes tests from four categories. First, we have tests of the liver's capacity to transport transport organic anions and metabolize drugs. These tests tell us how well the liver is breaking things down and clearing them from our circulation. It includes tests such as serum bilirubin, a product of red blood cell metabolism, which involves the liver, and serum serum measurements of lidocaine metabolites after a given dose of lidocaine. Now, lidocaine is just a drug that's mainly metabolized by the liver. Second, we have tests of the liver's biosynthetic capacity. These tests give us an idea of how well the liver is building things up. This can include tests like serum albumin, a protein made by the liver, or prothrombin time, which is relevant as clotting factors are produced by the liver and changes to their production will affect PT. There are also tests that detect chronic inflammation of the liver, altered immunoregulation, or viral hepatitis. These can include autoantigens suggestive of conditions like primary biliary cholangitis, which is an autoimmune disease of the liver, 
or antibodies or antibodies indica indicative of hepatitis A, B, or C. Now, finally, we have tests that detect injury to hepatocytes. This includes a number of different tests, including ALT and ALP, and are generally measures of liver enzymes found in the serum. These tests are what we're going to be focusing on for the rest of our little talk today. So I know what you may be thinking. How the heck do enzymes tell us that, that our liver is injured? Well, let me tell you. Our livers are filled to the brim with enzymes, and normally they stay there. They chill out in special cells called hepatocytes, blood brings our enzymes to their substrates, and they do their thing catalyzing reactions. When our livers are injured, whether it be by a drug, a toxin, a tumor, or whatever, the hepatocytes are lysed, or in some cases, their membranes become more permeable. The hepatocytes essentially spill their guts and a bunch of junk winds up in systemic circulation, including liver enzymes which aren't normally present. On a liver panel, this will show up as enzyme concentrations higher than the upper limit of normal. Now, the liver enzymes that we look at can be subdivided into two classes based on the potential etiology of hepatic insult. These two classes are 1. Enzymes related to general hepatocellular damage, and 2. Enzymes related to cholestasis, and we'll talk about each of these individually. So first, the enzymes associated with general hepatic or hepatocellular damage belong to a class of amino, a class of enzymes known as aminotransferases. They catalyze a reaction involved in the formation of pyruvate and oxaloacetate, which you may remember are two major players in cellular metabolism. Typically, the aminotransferases, aminotransferases we are interested in looking at are alanine aminotransferase, sometimes shortened to ALT, and aspartate aminotransferase, shortened to AST, with ranges of 0 to 35 and 0 to 36 units per liter, respectively. Now, don't worry about remembering reference ranges, as these will always be included on blood work results. Aminotransferase elevations, so elevations in ALT and or AST, are associated with general hepatocellular injury, inflammation, and necrosis. Generally, elevations up to eight times the upper limit of normal are associated with general hepatic insult, such as infections, heart failure, and cancers. Extreme elevations in aminotransferases are generally more related to a greater degree of hepatic injury, such as acute viral hepatitis or drug or toxin-induced liver injury. Something else you may see is the AST to ALT ratio, and this can be used in differentiating alcoholic fatty liver disease from non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, but that's beyond the scope of our talk today. Now, while these tests are very helpful in assessing patients with suspected liver damage, they are far from infallible. The degree of elevation tells us little about the extent of liver damage, the patient's prognosis, and specifically what might be going wrong. These tests can even appear normal in patients with severe liver failure. For the, furthermore, these tests can appear elevated in patients with no liver injury present. Sometimes they can be caused by injury or disease to other parts of the body, or even the use of certain drugs. One example is the use of the medication erythromycin. When this antibiotic is administered, a trypsin-stable compound involved in its metabolism can accumulate, and this metabolite can cause a high AST reading. This has nothing to do with the liver or any enzymes at all. It's just a flaw in the way AST is measured, and is something that should be in the back of our minds when we see this medication. So the other group of liver enzymes that we often look at are enzymes related to cholestasis. Now, cholestasis is just a $10 word that means reduced bile flow, 
often by impaired bile, secre bile secretion by hepatocytes or physical obstruction of the bile ducts. Elevated results of these enzyme tests may indicate cholestatic disease rather than general hepatic injury. So some examples of this include gallstones, primary biliary cholangitis, which is that autoimmune disease I mentioned earlier, or some presentations of acute viral hepatitis. Now, when we're looking at liver enzymes related to cholestasis, alkaline phosphate, or ALP, is the name of the game. The reaction this enzyme catalyzes isn't super important. In fact, as of right now, we don't know what its physiological function is. But what is important is that when the liver, or when cholestatic liver injury occurs, ALP is regurgitated from the liver and into the serum, leading to levels above the reference range of 35 to 100 units per liter. Like we discussed with ALT and AST, alkaline phosphate doesn't tell us the extent or cause of liver damage, just there's probably something wrong with the liver and it's likely cholestatic in origin and further investigations are warranted. Now there is one big flaw with the enzyme alkaline phosphate. Addition to being found in the liver, they're also found in the bones, intestines, and placenta. So issues with these organs and structures, as well as pregnancy, can cause elevated serum ALP. While it is possible to find the origin of the ALP using techniques such as heat, heat inactivation or gel electrophoresis, these tests can be very difficult and often aren't available. So does this mean that we can just forget about using this test? Nope, we get to look at more enzymes. So 5-nucleotidase, or 5-NT, is another enzyme found in the liver, and is generally not found in the serum in great quantities. The reference range for this, uh, this enzyme is 2 to 15 units per liter. Now, like ALP, 5-NT's physiological role is unknown, but it is found in the bones and placenta, not just the liver. Now, unlike ALP, Serum levels of 5-NT do not rise to a clinically significant degree in other diseases, so it is more specific for cholestatic injury of hepatobiliary origin. The one exception to this is that it may rise in pregnancy, so typically it isn't a reliable test to use in pregnant patients. Now studies show a good correlation between hepatic ALP and 5-NT, so therefore in non-pregnant patients an elevation in 5-NT suggests a concomitant Mentally elevated ALP is of hepatic origin and is reasonable, reasonable to further investigate cholestatic disease. It should be noted, however, that it is possible for 5-NT to remain normal or remain within the normal limits during cholestatic disease, further enforcing that these tests do not diagnose or rule anything in or out, they just guide investigation. Now, gamma-glutamyl gamma transpeptidase, or GGT, is another enzyme that plays a similar, similar role in the liver panel as 5-NT. It is found in the liver, as well as elsewhere in the body, but serum concentrations are generally low, 5 to 36 units per liter in females and 8 to 61 units per liter in males. Like 5-NT, GGT levels generally do not rise in bone and GI disorders, so it's more specific for hepatic disease than ALP levels alone. GGT differs from 5-NT in the fact that it does not become elevated during pregnancy, so it is a reasonable test to perform in pregnant patients. GGT is not without its flaws. High serum concentrations of GGT are found in patients taking phenytoin, barbiturates, or, ingesting, or patients that ingest a large amount of alcohol, even when all liver enzymes are within the normal limits.
What this means is that in patients on these medications, or with known or suspected alcohol use disorder, GGT does not correlate well with ALP and is not of use in determining, determining an elevated ALP. It is not of use uh, in determining if an elevated ALP is of hepatic origins. So in review, when it comes to identifying cholestatic disease, alcoholine phosphate or ALP is the big name. But other conditions like bone and GI disorders can also cause elevated serum concentrations of ALP. 5-nucleotidase, or 5-NT, and gamma-glutamyl transpeptidase, GGT, both correlate well with ALP and are used to further suggest an elevated serum ALP concentration is of hepatobiliary origins. Both GGT and 5-NT have their benefits and drawbacks, and data is conflicting regarding specificity, so it's not totally uncommon to see both enzyme concentrations measured. Now that's the quick and dirty on the liver panel, with a particular focus on the enzymes associated with hepatic injury. Now I'm going to give a brief summary of what we learned in a minute, but first I want to talk about how we can apply this to our daily pharmacy practice. Let's look back at the example of a parent concerned about oral isotretinoin for their child and its risk of hepatic injury. While it can be frightening that the incidence of elevated liver enzymes is 15% in patients taking oral isotretinoin, there are a few things to keep in mind. So since we know isotretinoin can harm the, level, harm the liver, we're hypervigilant when it comes to monitoring for drug-induced hepatitis. We monitor AST, ALT, ALP, GGT, and potentially other tests at baseline than every month. Now, this is fairly frequently, but we want to make sure that the liver stays in ship shape. This frequent testing gives us a very good chance at catching any liver, disease, liver damage early on, and ideally before it causes any harm to the body. If we see any signs of liver damage, no matter how minor, we will discontinue the medication. Because these tests are so sensitive, it's likely that we'll catch any liver damage early on. And because our livers are so resilient, it's usually able to recover from the potential injury if the medication is discontinued. This would be also be a good time to bring up the risk versus benefit of medications like isotretinoin, which can be life-changing for people with severe recalcitrant acne, but this is something Michelle is going to touch on in a future episode, so I'll leave that with her. Now, I don't, know if I, I don't know about you, but if I were a patient, hearing all this would make me feel like my liver was in good hands. I would feel aware of the risks associated with isotretinoin, but be satisfied that the intensive monitoring would mitigate these risks. And this is the sense that I get when talking to patients or caregivers about this drug and how we monitor it. Now, obviously, this isn't going to satisfy all patients, but that's okay. Some people are just more risk averse, or they aren't bothered enough by their acne, and we need to remember that to respect these patients' autonomy. Now let's look at another case where our knowledge of the liver panel may come in handy. Let's pretend our imaginary patient from the last example ended up starting isotretinoin. It's midway through the treatment, and they're noticing a huge improvement with their acne. Their liver panel is consistently in perfect range, and they're very appreciative you were able to explain the relative safety of the medication to their parent. Now the patient, who is still on isotretinoin, shows up with a prescription from a walk-in clinic. They were suffering from a respiratory tract infection and were prescribed erythromycin. Hopefully some alarm bells would be going off in your head, or your drug interaction software, if we're being real here, that this medication may falsely elevate the patient's AST. If this showed up on the patient's monthly blood work, it could prompt a discontinuation of the isotretinoin, despite its efficacy, 
as there's no way to differentiate a false elevation on ASD from one due to hepatic injury. Being the super pharmacist that you are, you explain this to your patient, get their consent to perform a therapeutic substitu substitution to a more appropriate agent, and now your patient goes home with an antibiotic that's going to treat their respiratory tract infection without interfering with the monitoring of their iso isotretinoin. All thanks to you, they're able to finish their course of isotretinoin and come out with clear skin and a healthy liver. Good job. Now, I also feel like this information is really important to know to help our patients better understand their blood work. While it's totally beyond the scope of my practice in community pharmacy to interpret a patient's liver panel, it's well within the realm of possibility that a patient may have questions about why they're having these tests done and what the potential results may mean. We need to remember that since we're one of the most accessible healthcare professionals, we may be the only one with time and the opportunity to explain this kind of stuff to our patients. A medication or a similar consultation is a perfect chance to help our patients better understand what's going on with their help and why they're getting certain lab tests can be part of an important part of this puzzle. Now, I know this is a lot of information to absorb, so let me try and summarize what we've learned today. The liver has a lot of roles in the body, all of which are crucial to survival. And by the time we see signs and symptoms of liver disease, damage is already being done to our bodies and can sometimes be irreversible. Because of this, we need some early warning systems, and that's where the liver panel comes in. The liver panel includes tests which look at how well the liver is performing all of its tasks, so how well it's synthesizing things, as well as how it's transporting stuff and breaking them down. The panel also includes tests which look for changes in immunoregulation or signs of viral hepatitis. And finally, the liver, their liver has tests which indicate damage to hepatocytes, either general hepatocellular injury or damage associated with cholestasis or reduced bile flow. These tests are indicative of general, the tests indicative of general hepatic damage are ALT and AST. These demonstrate the presence of enzymes that are normally found in the liver that are some way, somehow making their way into systemic circulation. The main test associated with cholestatic liver damage is ALP and is also indicative of the presence of liver enzymes abnormally in systemic circulation. However, this enzyme is more closely associated with cholestatic injury. Now, ALP has a, lot of has a shortfall and it's that it's found in many other parts of the bodies, and some disorder, disorders outside of the liver can cause elevated ALP readings. As a result, test measuring, test measuring serum concentrations of 5-NT and GGT can be used to suggest an increase of, in serum ALP is of hepatic origin. Both 5-NT and GGT have their upsides and downsides, so it's totally normal to see both of them used or some being used in certain patient populations. Now finally, we have tests in the liver panel. Now finally, we learned that tests in the liver panel aren't infallible. They can be elevated in patients with healthy livers, normal patients, uh, normal in patients with hepatic disease, and can even be influenced by things like drugs. As a result, we only use these tests as a non-invasive way to monitor the liver and further guide more specific investigations. Now clear is right, clear as mud, right? If you're still feeling confused, feel free to give this episode another listen or take a look at my notes or references, which I'll be uploading as soon as I figure, uh, figure out how to do that. Thank you so much to Michelle for having me on your podcast, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that I was able to clear up uh, some questions about a topic that I found pretty difficult. Thanks a lot for your time, and I hope you have a great day.